Emmanuel, God with us. Um, if there is another language that I've spent uh, probably the most time trying to learn, it was when Liz and I were in South Africa, eight years. Uh, spent a year or two learning Zulu. Emmanuel, God with us. In Zulu, it's in Kosinati. The king is here. And as we go through this sermon series, um, what we're hoping to do is help you realize that God with us, Emmanuel, isn't simply a single scene in the manger. It's the whole story. That's why we started in Gen Genesis last week. God with us starts in Genesis and it goes all the way to Revelation. It's the whole story. And if you want to understand your story, you need to understand this story of God with us. So I'm going to pray for us and then we'll dive in. Pray with me. Mighty and merciful Father, we realize that the grass withers and the flower fades, but your word stands forever. And so we ask this morning you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Save us from distraction. By your spirit, speak to us through your word. Help us to see Emmanuel, Jesus, God with us. In his name we pray. Amen. So we come to these last five verses of the book of Exodus. We're starting at the end of the story this morning. We come to verse 34 and it says, the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And my sense is that we have this challenge right out of the gate. Here's one of the challenges I believe we have this morning. And it's this, this just feels so other. This just feels so different from the life I lived this past week. We're talking about uh, tents of meeting. We're talking about uh, clouds and pillars. Like it just feels so other. Um, you're thinking potentially, I had 168 hours in my week last week and absolutely zero of them dealt with tabernacles. I didn't send any text about tabernacles. I didn't really think about a tabernacle. I didn't drive by any tabernacles. This just feels so other. Um, your week last week, maybe your week last week was like, oh, um, school is about to come to winter break and I need to get my grades up before winter break gets here. Maybe your week last week was playing some of your first basketball games or swim, swim meet of the season. Maybe your week last week was figuring out how am I going to, how am I going to care for my aging parent? Maybe you're thinking, you know, Rob, I posted on social media three fit checks last week, and I didn't think about the tabernacle once. If you don't know what a fit check is, all right, you're probably in the demographic caring for your aging parents, all right? <laughs> you can ask some of your younger friends. Point being, the tabernacle can just feel so other. The tent of meeting, clouds by day, pillar by night, it just it feels so different. But let me ask you this, uh, I would imagine sometime during this past week, you had a longing to be known and to be seen. I would imagine sometime this past week, you had a longing to be accepted and approved and to feel safe, to experience a presence that settles you. I would imagine that happened this past week. I would also imagine this past week, you found yourself needing some guidance. Like you ran up against something and you're like, uh, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. Like, I don't know how to go through this or go around this or go away from this. You found yourself probably sometime this week needing some guidance. Friends, um, the tabernacle is about a presence that settles us 
and a guidance that leads us. Tabernacle has everything to do with, with this past week and this next week. And so as we make our way through and talk about this tabernacle, I want us to see three things. The reasons for the tab tabernacle, the replacement of the tabernacle, and the reality of the tabernacle. The reason, the replacement, and the reality. Let's look first at the reasons for the tabernacle. Hey, probably didn't think about Exodus this past week either. Um, the book of Exodus, remember, it starts in slavery. God's people are in slavery. Like Genesis ends, Joseph and his brothers, they reunite. It's great. They're there now in Egypt. They start to grow. They're being fruitful and multiplied like they followed the plan. There's a lot of them now. But then there's this new king. And it says the new king doesn't know Joseph and his crew. And so he starts oppressing them and enslaving them. Uh, Exodus begins in slavery. And the first half of Exodus is pretty eventful. Like there's a lot going on. All right. We're introduced to this guy named Moses. All right. And, and how Moses survives and he's put in a, a, a basket and he kind of floats into the royal family. We read about plagues. We read about the Red Sea being divided and God bringing his people out of Egypt. There's a lot going on in the first half of Exodus. But you know what the whole second half of the book about is about? It's about the tabernacle. Starting in chapters 24 and 25, God starts talking about the tabernacle. Moses is meeting with God on the mountain and there's these instructions given about the tabernacle. Tabernacle basics. You ready? It's a tent. All right, think of it as a tent. Not a tent where families live. Not even a tent where a king lives. It's a tent where God's, promise, uh, God's presence comes to dwell with his people. All right? It's, it's sort of this portable sanctuary, if you will. Remember, God's people are on a journey to a land that has been promised to Canaan. And so there are people on the move. And so God gives them this tabernacle, this temple, this sanctuary that can move with them. I've thought about naming our trailer the tabernacle because of how we use it here uh, at Woodson. All right. So all the way through chapters 25 and 26, all the way up to the, the verses we read here in chapter 40, it's all about the tabernacle. All right, um, how we're going to build it, how it's going to be financed, who's going to work on it and in it, uh, what kind of furniture the tabernacle needs uh, to do what's going to be done in the tabernacle. Have you ever done a read through the Bible in a year plan? Right, like when you do those read through the Bible in a year plans, a lot of the jokes have to do with Leviticus. Like you make it to Leviticus and you're like, what in the world? But really these chapters here, these chapters here in the latter part of Exodus, those are where your early tests come in your read through the Bible in a year plan. All right, because you, you run up uh, like chapter 27. You shall make the altar of acacia wood, five cubits long and five cubits broad. The altar shall be square and its height shall be three cubits. And you shall make horns for it on its four corners. And you're like, what? What am I supposed to do with this? I want you to see this morning. The tabernacle is about God's presence with his people and God's commitment to lead his people. God's presence with his people and his commitment to lead his people. And when it comes to God's presence with his people, remember last week, God always sets the terms. Remember last week we talked about that creator-creature distinction? 
Remember we said, he's Shakespeare, we're Hamlet. So God always sets the term. So the first half of talking about the tabernacle is God saying, here is what require, is required. These are the terms for a broken people to come into my presence. And then we read about God's people building the tabernacle to those specifications. But God always sets the terms for engaging him. We even know that in our town, right? The, uh, the greater always sets the terms for the lesser. I don't go up to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue and think, you know what? I'd like to grab some wings with the commander in chief. Just going to duck in and see if he wants to get some wings. No, it doesn't work that way. The greater sets the term for the lesser. And so maybe you... Or maybe some of your friends think, well, I, you know, I'm just going to approach God in my own way. I'm, I'm just going to find my own way to God. I'm going to do my own thing and find God in my own way. Well, that's making very much of yourself and very little of your God. God always sets the terms. And so we see him setting the terms in the tab tabernacle. We also see this reality. God wants to be with his people, so he comes to them. His presence fills the tabernacle. The cloud's there. The pillar of fire is there. That's set against a backdrop of ancient Near Eastern religions where they would go up to the temple. They would go up to the high places and just hope that they could get their God's attention and maybe their God would hear them. No, Yahweh is different. Yahweh is different. He comes down to his people significantly different there. God's committing to be with his people and God's committing to lead his people. See what we see there about the pillar of fire and about the cloud, right? God wants to lead his people. Verses 36 and 37, throughout all their journeys, there, there are people on the move. All right, we should appreciate that here in DC with all of our comings and goings. Throughout all of their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up, from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out, all right? It's time to go. But if the cloud was not taken up, they did not set out till that day that it was taken up, all right? They're there in the wilderness. They're going to the land that's been promised, and they don't have Google Maps, and they don't have ways, and they don't know where they're going unless God leads them. The tabernacle is about his presence with them and his guidance for them. That's the reasons for the tabernacle. But let's think about the replacement of the tabernacle. Because friends, it's not a matter of if you're going to go somewhere for a presence that settles you and a, and, and, and a guidance that leads you. It's not a matter if you're going to go. Uh, it's not a matter of if, but where you're going to go for that presence and that guidance. And there's this there's this really interesting and insightful incident that goes down here in Exodus. Some of you might be familiar with it. It's actually halfway in between Moses receiving the instruction and them following the instruction. Right in between that, you know what Israel does? Moses has gone up on the mountain to meet with God. And he's taken a little bit too long for the people of Israel. Right? They're in the wilderness. They become anxious and they become restless. Hey, um, things aren't going according to our timeline. Things aren't happening the way that we thought. God seems distant. Our leader has left. And so what do they do? They move into replacement mode. Chapter 32, it says this. Israel looks around and they look to Aaron and they say, Hey, Aaron, uh, uh, get up. 
Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. And they end up creating this golden calf. They end up trying to replace Yahweh with a golden calf. Because in their anxiousness and restlessness, when God seemed distant, they didn't know what to do, and so they tried to replace him. <laughs> Yahweh had led them out of Egypt, divided the Red Sea, fed them in the wilderness. And yet, when difficulty comes, their instinct is to replace him. Aaron, get up and make for us another God that will lead us, a God that will go before us. And I think we're tempted to, to laugh at that, to, to scoff at it and be like, are you kidding? Are you, are you serious, Clark? You're really going to do that? We, we were tempted to say, look at those jokers when, when maybe we would want to, to look at ourselves. What do we do when God seems distant? What do you do when things aren't working according to your timeline? When... Uh, in your dating life, things aren't working according to your timeline. In the world of fertility, which, which me and my wife know very well, when things aren't going to your timeline, what are you tempted to do? Remain faithful or seek to replace your God and trust in something else or someone else to give you the presence you long for and the guidance that you need? Because that's what we all do. We've said it here before, there's, there's no one here who removes, removes God from their life. Every one of us replaces, right? Everyone out there, there's no removing, there's no subtracting, there's replacing. You will always make something or someone ultimate, all right? If you or your friends are deconstructing, you are at the very same time reconstructing. You will have something or someone that you make ultimate, and to have true life, you believe you need their presence and, and their presence leads everything you do. Could be a relationship. It could be the approval of your friends at school. Could be opioids. Could be all kinds of things. Could be wealth. You will look for something's presence and guidance to give you the ultimate life and direction that you long for. You were created for that. But you were created to let your creator be the one whose presence and guidance is ultimate in your life. God's people and the golden calf, us and our golden calves. Here's how committed God is to being with us. He doesn't write his people off. Moses pleads with him, God, relent from your wrath. Turn from your wrath and have patience on these people. And he does, and he allows his people to live and to build the tabernacle. Reasons for the tabernacle, replacement of the tabernacle, finally, the reality of the tabernacle. Let's just say, we, we, we saw here, as amazing as the tabernacle is, God's presence is with his people and he is going to guide them. But um, there is still some, there, there's a foreboding nature to it. There is still some distance, right? Because even Moses, as mighty as he is, it says there in verse 30, 35, Moses isn't allowed to enter into it. 
God is with his people, but there's still this separation. So something more is needed. God was with them, but he's still not um, fully approachable. Something more is needed. And in this we learn that um, the tabernacle is a shadow pointing to a greater reality. The, the tabernacle is a shadow pointing to the true and great tabernacle. Here's why I say that. We see the reality of the tabernacle in, in the first chapter of John's gospel, verse 14. Some of you will know this, this passage. It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt, John literally says in the Greek, and the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. God with us. You want to talk about approachable? Um, Moses could not enter into the tabernacle. But God comes in the presence of Jesus. Uh, God, God's presence comes in Jesus. And look who approaches Jesus. Prostitutes approach Jesus, come into God's presence. Prodigals approach Jesus and come into God's presence. Religious tryhards, societal outcasts and societal leaders come into the presence of God in Jesus, the true and greater tabernacle. And you can say, okay, well, Rob, what happened to all that separation stuff and all of the inner courts and all of the holy holies and the priests and the divisions? Like, do we just forget about that? Or are we just going to move on? No. Because in Jesus has come a true and greater priest, a perfect priest, who's not going to simply offer a sacrifice, but become the sacrifice. You want to talk about a golden calf? Um, think about Jesus. He's, he's faced a dark night of his soul. Things aren't working out according to the timeline that he would want it. He's in the garden at the end of his life, and he says, Father, if there's any way for this to go some other way, please make it be so. This darkness, this wilderness I'm in, I would like it not to be so, but he doesn't replace the love of his father. He doesn't build a golden calf. He doesn't turn away, but he remains faithful for all the times that we've been faithless. And he goes to the cross because we have a true and greater Moses. He doesn't just plead with God to turn his wrath away. He takes the full wrath of God for you and for me. We have a true and greater tabernacle in Jesus. And here's, that, here's why that matters for us going in to this week in December. Why does it matter for you and me that Jesus is a true and greater tabernacle, that he is the reality that that shadow tabernacle was pointing to? Here's one. Because whatever you face this week in your relationships, in your work, in your school, whatever you face this week, you know that God is with you and God is leading you. Can I, can I catch eyes with some of our teenagers and some of our young adults here? Because I, I want to talk to you early on here as you're starting out your journeys. I want to adjust your expectations, teenagers and young adults. God does not promise to lead you around every wilderness. He doesn't promise to, to, to help you avoid all the dark nights. That's not the promise of God. His promise is he will be with you. His promises, he will guide you. He has guided his children through wilderness and darkness before even his own son. And wilderness and darkness is not your destination. His presence is for eternity. 
We have to adjust our expectations. That's, that's one of the differences it makes when you realize that Jesus is the true and better tabernacle. Here's another difference. We become a community marked by God's presence and leading. Friends, Capital, Capital Press Fairfax, I don't want us to be marked by, well, and this is how often people do. Those people, those are the rule followers. They keep the rules. They have the rules. They are, no. All kinds of people have rules. The Communist Party has rules. The Academy has rules. We're not, we're not distinct because we have rules. We're distinct because God's presence is with us in Christ and he is leading us. I was talking with a friend before the service. and He said this. He said, I was at an elementary cheerleading competition this weekend. Imagine, just imagine. <laughs> elementary cheerleading competition, right? He said, parents were like, what are you doing here? You don't even have a kid here. I've got a kid here and I don't want to be here. You know, like, what are you doing? Well, he was there because his wife's a teacher. And one of the students was in the competition. And so this teacher who's a believer has experienced God's presence and is being led by God to love those students in her class. And so God's presence moves into elementary cheerleading competitions. God is there now because that teacher wants other students and other family members to experience the presence of God, God with us. That's the kind of community we want to be. If we want to think about it in history, and if we want to look back to the scripture that was read, Cantonese, think about the church in China, right? Western missionaries go. I think about Hudson Taylor and the influence reading his biography had on my life. And the church starts to grow, and missionaries are there, and, and Christianity is moving forward in China, and it's growing. And in 1953, it, all the missionaries are kicked out. If you would have asked in 1952, hey, do you, would you like it to be the plan that we're going to kick all the missionaries out of this country? Everyone would be like, that sounds like a terrible plan. So the church in China is cut off for decades. Maybe a few hundred thousand, maybe a million. It's cut off for decades. And then when China begins to open up again, and Westerners return, what do they find? There's not just hundreds of thousands of Christians. There's not just a million or two. There are tens of millions of Christians in China, probably by the end of this decade, more Christians in China than here in our country, without the Western missionaries, without tax-exempt status, without any place in the government, without any nice buildings to meet in. You know what they had? The presence of God and his guidance. They had the true and greater tabernacle with them. That's our hope, friends, in this Advent season. Let's pray. Father, make us that kind of community. For those of us who were making golden calves last night, help us see that we have a Savior that welcomes us. 
We have a Savior that doesn't ask us to clean up before we come to him, but welcomes the sick to him and heals them and changes them and transforms them more into his likeness. So for my friends, for those of us that were making golden calves, lead us to repentance by your kindness. For those of us in darkness and wilderness, help us to experience your presence, the the spirit of Christ that you've promised through him to every believer. For those in the wilderness and darkness, help us to, to experience your presence and guidance. And Father, make us a community marked by your presence that follows your leadership so that others might know your presence in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our workplaces. Father, by your grace and for your glory, would you do this? Amen.